You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 213, Evergreen Terrace. Hosted by Dan Terry. Let's keep this train rolling, <laughs> you know. John Beatty. But I'm a real album. And Joseph Wren. I'll put that on the list right now. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you have high hopes for an album called Wolf Biker, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is John. Well, the time has come to talk about a band from my favorite era of metalcore, uh, the early, early 2000s. Not like 2004, 2005, but like 2001 to 2002. You know, early, 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 early 2000s. Like, it's 2000 and you're six months in. Um, Evergreen Terrace, they are a band that everybody kind of had a lot of hype for. Uh, I remember everybody was really into Evergreen Terrace. They used to play them hard at the Hot Topic that was in our local mall. Uh, Every time somebody would come in, they'd be like, who's this band? They're like, Evergreen Terrace. They're like the greatest band in the entire world. And uh, although uh, I think that our review of them tonight is not going to echo that sentiment, uh, I... I, I enjoy this sound quite a bit, but I had never really listened to Evergreen Terrace really hard. I think I listened to maybe a couple of their albums, and then obviously their Writer's Block album, which w- had a bunch of cover songs on it, uh, is the one that I think that they kind of were the most popular uh, for doing. And so kind of looking at their original material, um, I definitely came away feeling differently about it than I thought that I was going to. At first glance, this band is... Metalcore from the early 2000s. They have the hardcore, almost Dan Want style screens, but then the melodic vocals have this Corey Taylor vibe. It should work. And it does when it's on the radio. When you walk into the store and this is what the fuck they're playing, it fits in, especially in 2001 through 9. But overall, does it deliver? Is it more than mediocre? Because I'm not sure that it is. Well, we'll get into it. (laughs) <laughs> we'll try to explain exactly why. Uh, John, any history with uh, Evergreen Terrace? Uh, a friend of mine that owns uh, Mind Over Matter Records did a really sweet uh, pressing of... I can always, I always fuck up the name, so I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, sincer- oh, is that the right one? Hold on. Sincerity? It's the one with the... the nope, that's not it. Hold on. Yeah. Um, he ended up doing a repressing of uh, Burned Alive by Time. So like the jackets like screen printed and all that kind of stuff and hand numbered and all the super deluxe things of, of that nature. Nice. I remember uh, my wife and him having to go to not my wife at the time, but went out to Detroit to go bring them those vinyl to sell on tour and so forth. So um, sort of like Dan, this is definitely a band that, you know, I think if you were big into this scene in the early 2000s, you know, it was like these guys and a lot of the scene basically coming up, you know, early every time I die. A lot of the ferret epitaph. Um, I would even say the solid state stuff obviously is making a huge uh, impact at this point. So, I mean, they're coming in right when everyone is coming into the scene and it's kind of starting to, to segre- segregate uh, into various offshoots of the genre. Um I think Dan and and Joe kind of already hit on it that uh, this isn't really the most impressive uh, discography that we've talked about in recent months. And uh, on top of that, actually, I think there's a lot of questions we're going to probably have as to why, because there are pieces here that should make it be good. Um, But I think there's no better way to to get to those questions and answers than to just uh, get right into it. 
Well, before we rip this scab wide open, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Hey, we do enjoy seeing those reviews come in on our podcast feeds. Uh, our tendrils are out everywhere. So yeah, let's just uh, let's put it this way. Um, leave us a review, however you can, any way you can. Leave it for us. We'll read it. We promise. So Dan, tell me about Evergreen Terrace. Evergreen Terrace is a metalcore band. They are from Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, again, I had high hopes because I, I there's a lot of hardcore bands out of Florida that I love, uh, such as like Strongarm or Shy Halud. You know, like they're they're kind of a hotbed for for good melodic, intense hardcore music. And Evergreen Terrace, like I said, is a band that I feel like had a major push. Uh, everybody was like really, really, really pushing for them to get popular. And from a strictly music fan perspective, um, I think that they had great live shows. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that they had really sarcastic, kind of dumb song titles, uh, which was really popular back then. Um, you know, just just naming you know naming songs, weird things like "What Would Jesus Do with a Weapon," uh, or <laughs> after Chuck Palahniuk books, or references to movies, "Chisel My Nizzle," yeah, like yeah. whatever you want, yeah, all of it. Um, and so that was all super fun. Uh, everything about this band was fun. I think that they 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 had a lot of potential to be kind of a party band. Um, but again, you know, around this time, you've already got party bands that are way better at it. <laughs> um, so uh, this is hard because when you listen to Evergreen Terrace, what you actually have is a band that's trying to be serious uh, that's trying to be, you know, intense and, and, and heartfelt and, and everything that you want out of good, like, punk or hardcore music. Um, but I think that this band has a serious songwriting problem, uh, and we will get into it. 2001, Losing All Hope is Freedom. I want to go first with this one just because I want to want to pose something because sometimes when I do these and I uh, voice an opinion and especially the one that I've not shared with everybody, it usually throws Dan and I kind of want to get a real live reaction from him. So is this a little bit of a new metal record? So you said that earlier today. And, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. I did. Damn it. <laughs> and I, I I completely disagree. I don't think there's anything new metal on this record at all. I didn't. Well, I think there's definitely some new metal tinges on this record. I don't think so. I think it's no? 2001. If you don't have new metal in your guitar playing somewhat, you're lying to yourself. But this just sounds like early melodic hardcore to me. What would eventually become metalcore? Uh, it, it sounds to me like a lot of bands sounded back in 2001, like Poison the Well. Um, it, it's, it, it starts, it even starts uh, with Sweet Nothing's Gone Forever, like it even starts like that, like Poison the Wells opposite of December starts. Not exactly the same, but like the same level of intensity. Um, the vocals on this record are, I want to say it's somewhere between like a Remembering Never and like a Zayo. 
you know like um they're very raw and and not recorded well uh, at all his his vocals uh throughout their career are somewhat downplayed which is weird because he's the main vocalist <laughs> you know like that like like spits out the most amount of words uh out of everybody and uh i think his vocals are raw they're they're super raw but they're almost like they're almost that weird uncanny valley where like 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 think uh think like old underoath like pre spencer where they're almost so extreme that like you that they're almost monotone like he can make that sound <laughs> and that's it and it's it's delivered in kind of this um non-emotional sort of way like like sort sort of drab uh but personally for me that's actually a benefit that's kind of a staple of this type of metalcore um and i like i like that the band has you know sounds similar to something like poison the well um or like I said, even even old and remembering never i get a little bit of that vibe off of here too and, and honestly like these are all ingredients for me to, to to usually say at this point like 10 out of 10 all-time classic you know like so nostalgic yada yada but i unfortunately i don't have the same nostalgic feelings about this record uh that i think maybe people that have been fans of the band for a long time probably do have um i know diehard fans will say this is the best uh that this is the best evergreen terrace record but what i really hear is a band that sounds like their contemporaries to the point where like you know you tell let's take a band like let's take a band like knock loose for example who's like super popular right and then now think about how many bands started you know probably not last year but the year before um in your hometown that all sound exactly like knock loose with varying levels of of success or varying levels of quality uh, I kind of feel like that's the case with Evergreen Terrace in that, like, they are playing a style of music that maybe other bands that they're friends with were playing as well. But at this particular stage in the band's career, I don't feel like the songwriting is really strong enough to hold it. And it's frustrating because they have really good ingredients. They've got a harsh vocalist that's super harsh and hardcore. Um, they, they have heavy, heavy moments that break into these like noodly little, like pretty, uh, melodic guitar bits. You've got a clean vocalist who, um, actually has kind of a, kind of a deeper voice, which actually really helps. It gives it more of like a radio rock tinge, <laughs> you know, uh, and actually helps quite a bit because at the time, I mean, if you go and listen to poison the well or something like that, their clean vocals were like super whiny, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of bands had super whiny lyric our vocals uh clean vocals anyway and evergreen terrace that's not like that it's more like uh it's more like a top tier like punk you know um hardcore sort of band um but for whatever reason like the clean vocals are superior to the unclean vocals but both vocals uh, both sets of vocal both vocalists are kind of somewhat buried in the mix almost like almost like they're ashamed of them or something <laughs> I, I don't know it's Almost uh, like this is an early hardcore record, and it's safe enough that most mainstream music fans that listen to new metal and then want to pretend like they never did are going to pick this up and say, yeah, this is really cool. This sounds indie. It sounds underground. It sounds extreme. This guy's doing these vocals that I've just, I've never heard anybody do this before. Even though you have a copy of Limp Bizkit's $3 Bill Y'all in your pocket or the early corn records, and you've heard extreme vocals that aren't exactly this, 
but it's not this new thing that just appeared out of nowhere. Compared I mean, to not... some of the other bands that we've listened to, this is some of the safest hardcore I've ever heard. I mean, it is what it is, and I think that the thing that separates this the most uh, the most from like a poison the well. Uh, I keep making that comparison. I'm sorry, but it's just very in your face. Um, is that they, I remember Poison the Well songs, and when I listen to Evergreen Terrace on this record, I don't remember a single song. The only song that I think is memorable is their cover of Sunday Bloody Sunday that's at the end. When I got to that, I was like, wow, this sound, like this sounds intriguing. And then I was like, wait, I recognize that drum, that shuffle drum beat for some reason. And then I yep. was like, oh, fuck, I know what this is. Yep. But, well, it's you two. Yep. Well, I think that, I mean... <laughs> I think that kind of sets the precedence going forward, though, because like a lot of their bigger songs are covers. <laughs> yeah, they are. We'll get to that too. We'll we'll briefly discuss a color uh, covers record. Uh, oh, we're talking about colors again. <laughs> huh. That was a better oh, record. Don't make my day. Well, so when the band comes back with a follow up, I mean, obviously this this did well enough for them. Uh, the first one was on Indianapolis Records or Indianola. Indianola. I always say Indianapolis Records. I'm sorry. And it's funny because this next record, Burned Alive by Time, uh, for years I called this record Buried Alive by Time. 2002. I just never read it. That shows how big of an impression it had on me. I just never even bothered to read the title. I was like, oh yeah, Buried Alive by Time. Uh, and everybody just went with it. Nobody ever corrected me or anything. Dan has a and very I, specific form of dyslexia where if he doesn't care about what he's listening to, he just decides what the name of the record is at a distance. So this record is, is an improvement over... Uh, losing all hope is freedom, but like, it's not a major <laughs> improvement. Uh, they get a little bit of dissonance there. Like now, now they throw in a little bit of like that, like dissonant, like dead guy converge, <laughs> you know, type of type of like spastic stuff in there. Uh, but it's done very sparingly, and and after it's over, they just go back to sounding like Evergreen Terrace, you know. Um. There's not enough technicality in the riffs to make the metal influences shine, you know, outshine anything else. Uh, the breakdowns are there. I've always felt like this band had a much stronger influence of hardcore and punk than they did metal. But for some reason, like, nobody told them that because they still, instead of just fully embrace, like, I, I could see a band like Evergreen Terrace at this point in their career going off into, like, more of, like, a posse hardcore, uh, something like, uh, like Comeback Kid. You know, or, or something, yeah, something like that. Uh, but for some reason, they don't do that. They still stick to, you know, they still stick to that early 2000s metalcore sound. And again, I, I do find some of the songs memorable here. Like, I like No Donnie, These Men Are Not, or These Men Are Nihilists. Um, and I like uh, Shizzle My Nizzle at the end, um, My Heartbeats and Breakdowns, like all that stuff. Like, they were definitely like one of the earliest examples of a scene band. Like people would go and see them to get a very specific experience. Um, so whereas this record is better than the other one, it still sounds like, oh, we did that first one. It really wasn't that strong. Let's go ahead and just try and do it again. And what you end up with is a relatively similar experience overall. Because if we just do the same thing again, but now we have a little more of a budget, guys. It's our second album. We can put more money into it, and it's going to sound better. That's usually the logic when you're writing your second album and you don't fully understand the time it takes to craft a really good, memorable song. 
I didn't listen to this kind of hardcore in 2002. And when I hear it, it sounds like they're compensating for something they heard somebody else do, and they're just not executing it fully. It's like the vocalist is supposed to be the focus, but they're not picking up the ball and actually running with it. I think the thing that's... I mean, we're, we're kind of echoing the same sentiments here, but I mean, it's like it sounds better from a production standpoint than the first record. Uh, that snare tone that I really didn't like and kind of made me, I think, also made me think it was kind of more of a new metal-y kind of sound. Is that just poppy snare? But, I mean... It's that I, I want to be the, Chad Sexton or Travis Barker that it invaded the mainstream of drummers. Just crank the snare, John. It'll sound great. No, it doesn't. Sure. But I mean, like you look at a song like Understanding the Fear That Lies Within, like to, to start the song or start the album and you hear like that kind of middle bridge section, which is something they hadn't really done on the other album. And you're kind of like, oh, OK, like you're kind of doing something that is a little bit more songwriting. And, you know, sort of like Dan says, there's nothing that they do that overwhelmingly makes you go, oh, wow, this is a really great band. I see where you're growing. They're growing. And I know we're talking about one record, but this is going to be something we talk. At least I talk about going forward. But the growth as songwriters is so kind of infinitesimal that I'm just like, like you do something cool and then you never do it again. And it's almost like you're like, oh, well, we tried. And isn't that the most frustrating thing? (laughs) It really is. But I mean, there are things it's hard it's hard when listening to this and thinking about what's coming out around this time and thinking about the contemporaries that you can hear that you can clearly hear our influences in this band like it's like you know in the year between the first record to this one you can kind of tell some of the bands they probably toured with because you can hear it in the record but it's like where those bands took what they were doing and kind of pushed it as far as they could these guys seemingly didn't and I don't know. It's just it's frustrating when you kind of listen to this. And like Dan said, all the tools and all the pieces are there, but they're just not utilized very well. And I think two albums in, that's kind of a bummer knowing that you have four more and there's going to be really no consistency from any one record to the next. Like there's little bits, but there's also a ton of differences in between them, too. Well, yeah, and it's frustrating because like. Again, I want this to be good because I like yeah. those elements, but it's like somebody buys me a jo- an amazing art set, right? I've got every color, every every everything I need. I can, I, I could make charcoal paintings, I could make uh, oil paintings, I could do you know anything I want. But I'm all, I'm just at the end of the day, I'm just a guy that took like art one, right? <laughs> you know, in high school. So it doesn't matter how awesome my elements are. If I'm not a good painter, I'm just not going to paint anything really good with it. Um, and I think that's that's what makes it really hard here. And something I noticed, too, on this record that I didn't really even notice as much on the last one is that have you noticed you'll get about a minute into a song and it starts to kind of stagnate? And then that's when they bring the clean vocals in to kind of save it, <laughs> you know, to get it, you know, um, well, it's almost like they feel like that. That's the formula, but they just don't know how to get there. Like, whereas right. a good band can find a part or two to get there. When you have lazy songwriting, it's almost like here, just throw a random breakdown or drop the song out completely and then find a way to get you there. And that's the thing with this band kind of for me that I feel like is it's good pieces. But, you know, we talk about that quite a bit, actually, where it's like, oh, this is a band that wrote parts, not songs. And very far and few between, at least over these next these two records. Do you feel like, oh, they've written a full song? It's like, well, we have this part and this part works, but we don't really know how we're going to 
combine the two to make this a full song. So clean part. Right. And the funny thing, too, is the clean vocals. I actually really, really like uh, in this band. It's probably one of my favorite aspects of the band, which I mean, write that down on the calendar, you know, uh, but like, I think I think he's one of the like, this is one of those rare instances where I'm kind of like, why don't you guys just like kick out the guy that screams and go into like more of like a mainstream punk direction, you know, because it seems like it would work better. You know, I could I could see them. I could see them going into like alkaline trio territory. You know, um, maybe Fuck not as yeah. good, but yeah, I mean, probably not as good, but still like something like that. And yeah, I just I don't know what to do with this band because I want them to be great. Um, and I think that they could get there. But for whatever reason, they just keep taking weird, weird left turns. And like what John said is the most important thing to keep in mind through this whole episode is that like the lack of consistency really is not great. Like, I mean, you'll these guys will nail a chorus. Mm-hmm. And you'll feel great about it, and then you'd never hear anything like that again for the rest of the record. Or, well, actually, I'll save that thought for when it actually comes up. So I'll I'll save it. <laughs> All right. Two thousand and five. Sincerity is an easy disguise in this business. Well, before we go into that, we got to go into two thousand and four's writer's block. You go right uh, ahead. <laughs> well, this is one of those things where you know we don't really like talking about cover albums. But when this is, in my opinion, probably one of the best things the band did, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, because you know they they had they they've always had an affinity for cover songs. They love they love um, they love recording cover songs. Uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, obviously on the first record. Uh, but this one, they they really dig deep. They do Maniac from the Flashdance soundtrack. They yep. do Smashing Pumpkins Zero. They do Hum Stars. Uh, they do yeah. Um, they they do uh, yeah. Uh, Mad World, Tears for Fear. Tears for Fears, um, The Offspring, U2, you know, and then there's Pop a couple Ivy. of Evergreen Terrace songs at the end, which are, well, they're Evergreen Terrace songs. Uh, so that that's kind of, uh, and this is cool. This is, this was, I thought this was really cool how they hardcore up a lot of these songs. And again, it, it shows you a side of Evergreen Terrace that you haven't ever seen before. Evergreen Terrace was strong songwriting. Uh, the only trade-off being that they didn't write these songs, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, they they sure they they beefed them up and added breakdowns and screaming and all that, but like, um, and and I actually really really enjoy these cover songs. Um, and this is a moment where all of the elements that we're talking about that are so great, this is where they really shine. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, man, this is really cool. If this was the very first album you ever heard by Evergreen Terrace, which for a lot of people it was, um, you'd be like, oh, I'd be I'd be really interested in hearing a record of original material by this band. And oh boy, that is that is some bait and switch right there. Well, what's interesting even to this, because you were talking about the 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 one, I think at least, uh, original song on this, which was Brave Reality. It samples three other songs. It samples yeah. Bodies by Drowning Pool, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, I think, by Poison, and the SpongeBob theme. So it's like, again, you're throwing three different things that are weird and I guess in theory shouldn't work, but they they do, they make it they make it work. But again, they had to use something else to kind of create it. It's like it's it's almost like they, they can't figure out how to do their own shit as well as they can do and borrow. They're almost like a, they're almost like a DJ kind of or a producer who goes, hey, I have these ideas. I know how to mix these elements of other people's stuff and make it sound better. Yeah, but, but not does all producers- it actually sound better. Well, here's the thing. Not all producers are great musicians. Like, I, I I feel like I'm that kind of person. I can listen to something and like I can be in a room with good, talented musicians and go, hey, you need to like 
you need to do that part like three times. You're doing it four. Drop it one more time. Go into this thing. You kind of do this thing like I can piece together a song or at least how it should like how it sounds good. But if you hand me the fucking instrument, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Did John just quote Lars Ulrich verbatim? I don't know. (laughs) No, he didn't. Uh, But this is again, this is frustrating because this is really good. This is that's the most enjoyable uh, Evergreen Terrace album for me is Rider's Block. When your favorite band records a cover record and it's their best album, what does that say about your favorite band? Well, my only observation when listening to this is, did you ever notice that the kids aren't all right when played by a hardcore band? Sounds less like The Offspring and more like the red jumpsuit apparatus. (laughs) No. Just a thought. Put this on and then face down. You'll understand what I'm saying. Well, let's jump on to... uh, Let's jump into sincerity as an easy disguise in this business. Um, this record is has a bigger budget than Burned Alive by Time. I mean, uh, do you like? I don't. Today? I didn't even. I didn't even like this record as much as I like Burned Alive by Time. If this, I'm being honest, this felt to me like, hey, everyone's doing that like heavy. Like you were saying, Dan, I like the clean vocals. Oh, you like that? That's what's popular now in in 2005. That's what's happening in kind of the what's metalcore. Oh, we can do that, too. But the problem is, and like something I was going to say on the last record is this is one of those where, you know, I make the joke like Haste the Day because it kind of reminds me at times the vocalist kind of reminds me of Brennan from Haste the Day, the guitar player who also did the clean singing. And it's a thing where if you listen to any of the haste day or any of the records from this time frame that were really popular with the heavy verse clean song chorus and so forth you know there were layers of vocals not just seemingly kind of the one or there is at least like a counter melody going so it's like if the main vocal was a a high vocal then you'd have a low vocal underneath of it or you might have a mixture of three different vocals and here it's it's like again it's frustrating because you're like you could have made this part so much better if you just had if you just paid more attention on how to make that part more dynamic but it's almost like you came up with the idea and you're like that's good enough right because i mean if you go and listen to a record like burning bridges by haste the day that record's very big sounding you know and and i bet the budgets are similar or this one probably costs more yeah, oh, I mean the drums sound terrible on uh, on Burning Bridges, uh, yeah. but they actually sound better on this record. Uh, but overall, yes, like it's one of those like, oh, you like the Haste the Day thing where we like mix a little bit of rock in with our metalcore. Like, okay, sure, let, let's do that. Um, and you know, Burning Bridges comes out in two thousand four, and then this one comes out in two thousand five. Um, you know, what I, I'm not saying they ripped it off. This doesn't sound like Haste the Day, but um, some of the elements are very in line with what was popular in metalcore that year. This is when metalcore was trying to get on the radio, <laughs> you know, trying trying to be taken more seriously by, like, the mainstream audience at large. And, yeah, like, um, one of my favorite songs on this record is I Can See My House From Here. Uh, it has a very strong chorus. Uh, but, again, like, add add a little bit of layer in there. Like, beef that chorus up. Make it, make it the center point of the song. You know, I'm no music producer, but when I'm listening to it, I'm like, if this is a demo version of a song, I can already think of five different things we can do to make it make it really pop, you know, uh, and make it really work. Uh, and for whatever reason, they just they just they just can't get past that threshold of sounding like anything other than an early two thousands hardcore band, you know. Like, and it's not even that their music is bad. I think I think this is kind of like 
you know how I could, I mean, you've, you've all heard uh, how I can go on and on and on about a band that's bad. <laughs> uh, Evergreen Terrace isn't a bad band. They're um, not great. That's the right. problem. They have What's great, the Go ahead. They have the foundation to be great. And that, I think the, <laughs> the final thought almost on this band way ahead of time is going to be, it's frustrating. This band has, and, and, and we're three records in. And, and that's the thing is like, we keep coming back to, we're frustrated we see the potential in this band. The songs are almost there. And I just don't know what the disconnect is. I don't know if it was. I mean, do you see like from the from losing all hope to burn to lie by time? There's a year between the records. Yeah. So obviously, I'd assume, you know, eulogy probably scouted them. and was like, hey, let's get you into and put out a record ASAP. Then you have three years between this record and that one. Granted, there was a record writer's block two years after that, probably to keep fans interested while they're on the road, just touring relentlessly. But the problem becomes, is is, is this a thing where this is a label or someone just forcing the band to write and giving them like, hey, you have like four weeks to get a record out and you don't have time to write really because you're touring and not like in a bus where you have like sound checks and shit. But I just wonder, like, is that part of the problem? Is this also the first time they go full Corey Taylor with those choruses? No, they did that on writer's block. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a little bit different, but yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I'm joking. This is the first time in their original material. Yeah. That they've gone with bigger choruses. Yeah. And I think it's actually a step in the right direction for the band again, because it's got that element of greatness, but they just can't nail it. There's no. like, it's literally like you're just firing an arrow at a target over and over and over again. And no matter how careful you are, no matter how precise you are, you're never going to hit that bullseye. And it's 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 the most frustrating thing in the world. Because, like, again, you know, everybody, everybody likes what kind of movies do people like? People like really good movies and really bad movies. What's the worst kind of movie you can watch? A boring just an one. in between. Yep. Yeah. A movie that was like, eh, yeah, yeah whatever. Um, and I, I also kind of wonder if this is just like some sort of hardcore uh, mindset that they have going into recording stuff where it's like almost that the music is secondary to writing the music is almost secondary to playing shows and touring and and and, and shirts and you know whatever uh, I don't know I, I don't I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the disconnect is there but it's starting to it's starting to really get in the way um, but evidently we must be the only people in the world that think that because then they somehow end up on metal blade after this. Well, hold on before we go, though. I think, like, again, I don't know what this band wants to be either. Like, you have a song, like I say, I say you, he dead. And you're like, oh, you're kind of like a punk hardcore band. Right. And then you have a song like Tonight is the Night We Ride. And you're like, oh, this is not like the rest of the record. I kind of really like this. Where the fuck? Like, and there was an example of this and you pointed it out on the last record. And you're like, where is this band? Yeah, I don't feel and that's the other problem is I don't feel like this band has any kind of consistent identity for me to really latch on to what they do, because I'm not entirely sure what they do yeah. for me. It's a very specific mix of new metal influences, dissonant influences. I think the new metal is definitely gone by this point. It's primarily punk rock, was. though. Overall, it's just punk. I can remember playing songs like this writing songs with multiple people and for whatever reason dan just said no that's not what we're going to do today even though yesterday it was perfectly fine and i can only think that his mind was where it would be if we gave him this album worth of material 
it's not focused enough, guys. We, we have the elements. We got to make it bigger. Well, whenever we get to Wolf Biker, we're there. 2007. <laughs> they kind of do that. Um, somebody got in the studio with them and they're like, okay, guys, here's what we need to do. We need to make you guys heavy. Yes. Okay, you guys, the, the style of metalcore, because by 2008, now now it's not just competing with metalcore bands. Now you're competing with deathcore. You know, the whole MySpace deathcore movement <laughs> is has either already happened or is happening. Um, so it's like we got to beef you guys up a little bit. Okay, we need to we need to put the metal in the core. You know, we need to we need to really really beef beef this up. And take you guys into like almost this like almost proto beatdown territory, you know, because there are moments where this is like really heavy, right? And I just, um, this is weird to me because I'm not complaining that this doesn't sound exactly like the old Evergreen Terrace. I appreciate that this is a little bit of a different take on on the Evergreen Terrace sound, but they can't keep it up throughout the entire record. Again, you're uh, at this point. You're trying to serve two masters. You're like, we're trying to keep it really, really, really heavy because, like, bad energy troll, bam. I mean, you know, punches you in the face, and you're like, all right, I want to hear a whole record of this. And then high tide or no tide comes in, and it's like stock evergreen terrace, <laughs> and you're like, what? You know? And then like wolf biker comes in, and it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna beat down again. And you're like, what is what is happening on this record? And then they follow it up with Cheney can't quite uh, riff like helmets Paige Hamilton which is probably like the best Evergreen Terrace song they've ever written. It's a great fucking song title. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. Like, it, it is fantastic. And again, I'm like, where is this band? Why is Wolf Biker not 10 of these? So, I mean, coincidentally, I'm wearing a hoodie of said band, but, you know, the one thing I, I think I've mentioned this Well, couple, hot damn. Yeah, as I say, I think, uh, well, part of that, but as I say, this is something I've mentioned before where I think switching a drummer sometimes, I think, when we actually, when we talked about every time I die, I said, I think maybe having the drummer change every so often adds new blood to the band and, and kind of adds a different sound because they're literally the tempo and the backbone of whatever you're listening to. This is the first record to have a new drummer in Evergreen Terrace, and I think it fits and complements the sound that they're going for. That being said, what was kind of big in the 2005-2007, that Southern hardcore kind of sound. Oh, look at Wolfbiker, fucking ass beater of a song. But this has totally got a lot of that Southern hardcore kind of vibes to it. Like your static lullabies, your E-Tids, your Maylene's, your, you know, things like that. He is even legend. He is legend. Yeah. Yep. And here's something I didn't even know. Did you know Tim Lampesis was the A&R for this record? <laughs> I did know that, actually. Uh, Evergreen Terrace and Tim Lampesis were like real tight for a while there. Were I think really? that's how they ended up. That. I think that's how they ended up on Metal Blade. On Metal Blade? And all that. Okay. Well, because I mean, you got to think Tim. Tim. Tim helped out a lot of bands, uh, smaller bands at the time, because mm. of how underground Azalea Dying used to be. Right. And then once they once they became Metal Blade superstars, <laughs> you know, um, he he definitely gave a lot back to some of those older bands, uh, some of those other bands that have been around forever. Um, but yeah, so you're when I was whenever I first saw a uh, Wolf Biker in the store. I was kind of like an album cover. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I was, I was stoked for it. Cause I yeah. was like, yeah, man, Evergreen Terrace. I remember them from back in the day. They got a new record called Wolf Biker. I bet this is going to be awesome. You know, um, because usually like when you have songs like burned alive by time, or I mean, albums like burned alive by time or losing all hope is freedom and all that. And then they come back and they're just like, oh yeah, no, now it's 2008 and we're wolf. It's Wolf Biker now. 
and you're and you you almost when I think of an album like Wolf Biker, I think like that's got to be in some entombed record that never came out, right? Like this? like having having that that but like having that sort of vibe, like because I kind of thought there was going to be a little bit more like biker, like I thought this was going to go in like a like a, like a mid America's like rock and roll town sort of you know sort sort of things like that. Like I could almost smell Corona, like, you know <laughs> what I mean coming 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 off of the album. Uh, and then I listen to it, and it's just stock Evergreen Terrace with a little bit heavier production. And uh, again, they're just doing the same stuff that they've done before, uh, but they're adding in elements that they think is going to like get them in the good graces of the scene kids that year. This is a terrible word to use, but this reeks of we're going for Warp Tour this year. We're trying oh, yeah. to cater to the Warp Tour crowd that's going to be on there with you every time I die. Is your, you know, all the bands we've mentioned before. But I mean, for, for my money, out of all of the records of theirs, this is probably my favorite to listen to because at least out of the borrowing of other genres or whatever they were trying to capture in on the record at that time, this is one of the ones I find more enjoyable to listen to. I hear an A&R guy or a Tim. manager Tim that just called them up and said, guys, we're pushing you in the hot topic. Like, that's your fucking crowd. Just listen to me and everything will be fine. It's like they're aware of where their market is. <laughs> and I have to ask the question, were they aware of how long that market was going to be there? Because this is 2007. We are saturated at this point. We are two years away from it being annoying. But see, that's what they've, they've habitually done as a band from the start is they have, I don't want to say trend road, but more or less, that's what they've done. So, I mean, it's like you tour with enough bands, you kind of find the things that are working or what people like. And you're like, oh, let's throw that into what we're doing. You know, you often talk about a playlist band. That's kind of what this band is and always has been is just kind of oh, this is the playlist band that will mimic the bands that you like, but won't make you like them more than any of the bands you like. You're just going to hear them and go, ah, that sounds like blank. I'm going to have not listened to that in a while. I'm going to go listen to that and get my fix. Yeah, this is fine right now. Yep. But I'll tell you what, as soon as I got done listening to this record, I went and listened to Maylene and I went and listened to like, you know, Hot Damn Era uh, and Gutter Phenomenon Era Eated and went and listened to He Is Legend and stuff like I went and listened to the bands it reminded me of that I, I like better. Yeah, I mean, this one's just uh, kind of all over the place, but I can I can see <laughs> I can definitely see how, you know, it's more enjoyable maybe than some of the other stuff, especially from a production standpoint. Everything sounds really good, you know, uh, more so than it had before. But if I had to pin, like, as far as albums of original material, I mean, Writer's Block is 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 my favorite to listen to. But uh, if I had to pick just, like, pure Evergreen Terrace albums, I would probably have to go with Almost Home. 2009. Um, so Wolf Biker was heavier. They're like, let's go heavier. Let's beef it up. Let's make it, you know, epic or whatever. Uh, and they don't really succeed with that on Wolf Biker. But Almost Home, they almost take another shot at it. Um, they, it almost has a very similar cycle to the difference between losing all hope is freedom and burned alive by time. Uh, how they're just doing the same thing again, only a little bit better. Uh, and so the heavier parts are heavier. You know, it's like more so. Like, let's go into just like straight, really intense hardcore. And it's so hard whenever I say that because like we just got done listening to Earth Crisis and like 
listening to their records that were coming out, you know, later in the 2010s and stuff, like those being like extremely amazing, like really good hardcore records. And then I come back and I listen to this sort of stuff and I'm like, okay, like I could see why this was popular or whatever, but um, it's hard to come off of something like Earth Crisis and go into this, right? Um, you know, probably the first four songs or so on this record are like heavier in your face, hardcore. Uh, and then they go into we're only we're always losing blood and sending signals and they're back to that like more punk rock influence clean vocal led uh stuff that i'm like this is this this is the good evergreen terrace this is the evergreen terrace that's been hiding on all of these records where and that they'll pop they'll poke their head out every now and again and you're like man if they could just put out an entire record of songs that sound like this they would be huge but for some reason, they still feel the need to keep it brutal, or at least their version of brutal. I think they were huge, though. No. They had <laughs> listeners, even though they're not going to be headlining the show, they were being shoved down the throats of everyone that listens to hardcore metalcore at that time. They were a perpetual, at best opening or two out of unless it was like a small headlining run or whatever but from what i remember they were a perpetual like two out of four on a package tour yeah and they were friends with everyone yeah you know um and you know i, I commented to john i was like i wonder what it would have been like to be evergreen terrace and see every band that you're friends with get huge ass seven dust yeah right hell yeah right um but uh yeah but that <laughs> you threw me with that one he's but, not like, wrong i'm not wrong the biggest difference is, is that Seven Dust was a good band that just got overlooked, but, um, you know, a few too many times. Uh, but Evergreen Terrace, I don't think, has the loyal fan base that something like somebody like a Seven Dust has. You know, there's people that are in the know, right? And um, where here, I think Almost Home is probably the most cohesive Evergreen Terrace record in the sense that they kind of stick to that hardcore metalcore southern style and they more or less keep that up throughout the record except for in a couple of notable cases where they go more into their old style um so i'd say from a consistency perspective this one's the most consistent but it's also not like there's nothing about it that's super compelling or you know that, that i really get excited about when i'm listening to it and th it's kind of hard. I mean, you get to imagine how hard it is to be a band like Evergreen Terrace in 2009, where you are just a drop in the bucket of an ocean of bands. And everybody's trying to figure out, I guess it's probably like that at any point in history with any style of music, but um, they just weren't doing anything that, that would make, there's nothing that makes me want to listen to Evergreen Terrace over another band that sounds similar. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think that... This is a uh, Josh James uh, and I think the drummer actually too left on this, but I mean, most notably for me, I know this is a uh, Josh's last band or sorry. I know this is a uh, Josh's last album. And interestingly enough, I guess now that I'm looking it up, it's also the drummer that I credited for kind of giving new life to the band last time uh, he left after this. So he gave it two records and was like, I'm done too. But the thing is, is and when I got to this and kind of looked at that, fact earlier because i was trying to remember where josh left off because i knew he was uh obviously like one of the bigger writers uh for the band that it gets to the point where you're kind of like so 
stick to your guns almost is like the better version of what I think Evergreen Terrace is always meant to be. Yeah. And yeah, I, like, I can hear that. I like stick to your guns way better than I've ever liked Evergreen Terrace, but it's almost like they like you were saying with like that kind of pop punky a day to remember newfound glory kind of sound where it's like you're 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 servicing your pop punk tendencies, but you're also mixing it with sort of like a day to remember that like heavier side of things and more of the the aggressive side that it's like stick to your guns found that perfect formula that works and it's cohesive songwriting evergreen terrace has never really been able to never been able to put it together and so it's funny that the same dude who wrote all this shit figured it out seemingly in his other band who was like hey i don't know how to make this work (laughs) different songwriters man I mean, just, in in one regard, it's the same songwriter going to a diff- completely different band and starting all over again. And right, like, right. But but Evergreen Terrace has had this problem perpetually since the beginning. Right. You know, so this so particular group it's... of songwriters, when they're together and they're all trying to work together, do they not have a leader to say, that's good, play that three times, and then let's close it with this one? Is there too much... No, there's not too much. <laughs> is there too much cooperation for no. it to be pushed forward? I don't know, I man. Mean, I think it's just... I would almost think it's an absence of that. That maybe nobody is willing to say, like, hey, maybe we need to do this. Everyone's trying to be diplomatic, and that's why you have disjointed sounding albums. I think it's mediocrity, too. I hate to drop a bomb like that on a band. That's a horrible, mean thing to say about a band. But when I listen to Evergreen Terrace, what I hear is, yep, this was good enough. You know? And it is. It's fine. You know what I mean? You listen to these records, they're fine. Uh, There's nothing, you know, oh my God, why did they do that? Or anything like that. Uh, It's just a whole lot of, oh, wow, they did this really good. I wish they'd do that more. But they don't because everything else is fine. (laughs) You know? Um, and, and I don't know what to what to do with that. And I think it's really, really, really interesting that their final album was called Dead Horses. <laughs> 2013. <laughs> we are here to remember Bojack in all of his glory. I feel like a song on this album is actually what we're doing. Browbeaters Anonymous. <laughs> no doubt, right? <laughs> Hi, my name's Dan. And uh, yeah, uh, this record is... Uh, a lot like the last two they, they are getting a little bit more consistent in the sense of like they're like I don't know man if we just try it again just one more time like this is gonna be it um, this is probably the best sounding Evergreen Terrace record ever released um, I mean it sounds good uh, there's a song on here called It's All Over uh, But The Crying that I love and again it's one of those magical Evergreen Terrace songs that you're like wow man these guys have really got their life figured out <laughs> And then they just never follow it up with anything, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it's frustrating, man. And like, it's also weird in 2013 where like, you know, you guys are still doing the funny song titles that nobody has really done in like seven or eight years at this point. It's probably um, almost coming back. Maybe question marks post satanic ritual, baby. Like, OK, by the way. Uh, Thought that song was going to be a, a fucking ass beater all the way through. And then here comes this chorus. I don't know where that I was like, I don't want this on this song. It's Evergreen Terrace, John. You're <laughs> going to get a chorus whether you want it or not. Yeah, but that chorus, that chorus is better than the rest of the song. Objectively. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the wrong song, though. Yeah, well, yeah, it's on the wrong song. It's on the wrong record. 
from the wrong band. <laughs> you know, and that that's like my biggest issue, really, is that like the parts that are contrasting don't contrast that well. And or they, they contrast, but they do it in like almost a a, dis, a discordant sort of way, which again is supposed to be really cool when you're talking about hardcore, but for some reason it just isn't in this case. And I feel like we're like trash talking Evergreen Terrace. Um, I do think that these are just a bunch of guys that were really into hardcore that did the best that they could, <laughs> you know, uh, just like a million other bands that probably weren't as successful. Um, they had big push and they had all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if you can't deliver memorable, good songs on a consistent basis, you're just never going to catch on. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter how many Tim Lambesis are behind you. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to break through once everybody's bought the record. And I think that's the hard part, too, is that everybody always goes by record sales as a sign of success. They don't talk about the amount of people that bought the record and hated it. <laughs> right. Uh, because that doesn't objectively matter from a from a sales perspective. But I think that that's the reason why Evergreen Terrace lasted as long as they did is the record labels are, well, they sold X amount of copies of Wolf Biker, so let's keep this train rolling, <laughs> you know. Um, and because Evergreen Terrace always had the potential to put out some amazing classic record, I think people held on for that. I think they were waiting for that to happen. They were waiting for all the stars to align just right uh, for, for them to put out a, just a real a real album lately you know a real album uh <laughs> but like something something album. like something that was top quality you know i mean haste the day's first couple of records were kind of rough but then they figured it out you know what i mean like it's just one of those like uh it like that's the story for a lot of bands um and i think that this was really their last big push and it just you know i mean it's been six albums guys if it hasn't caught on yet i don't know if it's going to it didn't. Spoiler. I agree with Dan. This is the best sounding Evergreen Terrace album, but what does that mean? <laughs> if it comes up on a shuffle, I'll listen to it, but I'm not digging Evergreen Terrace out of my collection because I have to listen to Wolf Biker this week. I have to listen to Burned Alive by Time. It has to happen. It's just kind of there. It's filler. Joe, you know, in order for it to show up on your, your playlist randomly, you have to add it first. I don't know if you're adding Evergreen Terrace to your playlist. It's not It's not my fault they didn't come up in the playlist, guys. I hit play, and they just never played any Evergreen Terrace song. <laughs> it's what not do you want my me to fault do? today. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's my final thought. Evergreen Terrace, it's fine. John, what about you? I'm just going to leave it with the one word final thought. Frustrating. Final thoughts. Dan. Yeah, I mean it's okay, I guess. I mean, what do you want me to say? Like, I don't have I don't have some deep philosophical final thought about about Evergreen band. Terrace. Like, I don't hate them, but it when people ask me what I think about Evergreen Terrace, I'm always like, yeah, they're a band that has albums that you can go listen to. By the way, don't tag me in this because I'm trying to get Josh James on the other podcast. <laughs> Good luck. Damn, what's your album of the week? My album of the week, man. If I had to go with a record that I've been listening to a lot this week, it's definitely not Wolf Biker. Um, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been Zayo, uh, the well-intentioned virus. John, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go with a band that has scratched a niche for me. That's always consistent and always good. And that's a uh, defeaters abandoned album. There's a band we need to talk about eventually. I'll put that on the list right now. For me, it's static X Wisconsin death trip. 
Did you want to enjoy the record you listened to after listening to Evergreen Terrace? I did. Have you guys seen my shovel? It's in a ditch. Take us out, DFT. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and you would like to be more directly involved with what bands we pick, what bands we talk about, what bands we talk to, you can reach out to us at all kinds of different places on the internet, up to and including at Gmail, gmail.com, Twitter at Discuss Metal, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Discography Discussion, Instagram at Discuss Metal. You can find me on Twitter also at Discuss Metal Dan or Joe at Discuss Metal Joe. We also have a Discord server. There will be a link in the show notes that will take you right to our Discord server where you can talk to us and fans of the show from all around the world anytime you want to. It's a great community. Go check it out. If you want to get yourself some sweet Discography Discussion merch, you can head over to our Teespring store. We have all kinds of sweet merch with our logo all over it. Check it out. It's getting cold outside. It's been cold outside. You probably need a hoodie. Go get yourself a hoodie. And on that note, this has been episode 213 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things Discography Discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. One dollar a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. Half open, have no fear. The truth walks by our side.